This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art. You're listening to the Voice of the Arts, WQED-FM. Brian Warsdale is here, the music director of the Three Rivers Young People's Orchestra with composer Michael Markowski, whose City Trees was a huge hit on YouTube not too long ago. It seems like a long time ago, doesn't it, Brian, that we had the pandemic and everybody was inside making music in their living room? What was that again? I, I can't remember what that was like. <laughs> I don't want to remember yes. it. Dude. Good day to you, Jim. <laughs> oh, gee. But uh, the piece turned out to be a triumph, that's for sure. We spoke about it a few minutes ago with uh, Tim Stoddard, but maybe we can get back to that topic in just a moment. What piece by Michael Markowski do you have planned for your May 7 concert? It's at Carnegie Music Hall, and you're doing it a little differently than your anniversary concert last year. You're doing a two-parter, am I correct? Yes, we are, Jim. We need to split our concert because we are such a great, vibrant music education community that we need to make sure that with four ensembles that we're uh, not having a three-hour uh, program, and we want to make sure that we feature all the groups, but we're premiering one of our brand-new groups at our spring program. Uh, we have a tendency of doing that, premiering groups in our spring concerts. In our my first season, we premiered our Wind Symphony, which we were very excited about, and this year we're premiering Tutti, which is our entry-level string orchestra program program that's being led by our symphonette conductor, Pierce Cook. So with four groups on the program, it just made more sense for us to split it and do two groups in one program, two groups in the other, so they can play their full programs for a, a, an appreciative audience. You're starting at 1.30? We have a 1.15 that's going to feature the Wind Symphony and the YPO. And then at 5.15, we'll shift over to Tutti and Symphonette. So we're both at the Music Hall, at Carnegie Music Hall. We're excited about that. But that's the, the, the order of the program. And we'll be playing Wild Skies by Michael Markowski on that program. And that piece was commissioned by the Arizona All-State uh, Music Association, Music Educators Association, for their All-State Orchestra in 2022, I believe. Last year. Yeah. yeah. Wow, what a day. It's going to be amazing. And the youth symphonies in the evening, you know, so there are three big concerts oh, yeah. that same day. About young people, you start with the Three Rivers Young People's Orchestra, some end there, but some also go on to the youth symphony in, in the, in the uh, later years. I will also tell you that we have about a dozen who are in both groups right now, which is a huge number in, in comparison to previous years. We've had a couple that have overlapped, but uh, the the spirit of cooperation and the fact that we collaborate so well together, the young people are kind of buying into the idea that they can do as much as they'd like to do, as much as they're able to do, and make as much music with as many people as they possibly can. So there are about a dozen students that are both in Tripo, in our YPO, and in PISO. So they're going to finish their program and run over to their sound check at Heinz Hall and play their program, which also looks very exciting. Is their composer, Michael Markowski, involved in this effort in some way? Well, with our program, uh, Michael will be in residence with us actually tomorrow morning. We're going to do an hour-long rehearsal just on the Wild Skies. We have a great program that I'll tell you a little bit more about after I talk about that. But we're going to spend an hour of our three-hour rehearsal tomorrow in the music hall working on Wild Skies, kind of like a clinic session. Michael will get to listen. He'll get to walk around and have a, a good understanding of the acoustics of the room. But he'll also get a chance to communicate with the young people, which I always enjoy when we can do that in person. It's, it's not 
nice to do a Zoom session with the kids or uh, what do they call those, uh, the, the, um, the FaceTime sessions and stuff that, where you see the disembodied head in a, in a screen when someone lives in California or in a different time zone, whatever. But it's nice when you can get them in front of the young people because they could see a living composer working with the students. Michael, have you done workshops like this before? Yeah, yeah, I've done uh, I've done both. I've done the in person and and the dreaded Zoom uh, clinics and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think anybody really wants to do Zoom, uh, you know, clinics well, anymore. But it's it's sometimes it's, it's necessary. Still, yeah, well, it's but, a different energy. You know, you can just yeah. have so much more fun when you're working with these kids in in person. You know, I could run around the room. We can like really get into the music and really dissect it. Whereas you know, over Zoom, it's it's mostly just like kind of Q and A, kind of like we're doing here today. But we referenced the pandemic earlier. I mean, during the pandemic, it was survival with the Zoom, and there was tremendous energy. Using a click track, your city trees was recorded, the kids all wearing headsets so that everybody could follow the conductor. Is that how it worked? Am I remembering uh, correctly? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, click track was created. Michael put together all of the material including a very detailed instruction sheet so that every student knew exactly what to do and how to do it. And with very little need for re-records or what have you, the, the students actually did a fantastic job just submitting all the information so that Michael could then piece it all together. I might have been the one that didn't follow the instructions the most, being the adult, you know, because I had to do a little green screen magic. And, you know, luckily we have a wall that's painted green in our house. So I just stood in front of that. It was kind of perfect. It really worked out well. It's beautiful to look at. The kids look fabulous. And it was really important at the time because they couldn't be doing music any other way. So the overall look, and then the trees are, are beauty, beautiful on top of it. Did the kids take the pictures of the trees? Where did the trees come from? Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we asked them to, uh, you know, to enhance the video a little bit so it's not just like a bunch of, you know, heads of these kids playing their instruments. To add a little extra pizzazz to it, we asked them to just take pictures of the trees in their yards, uh, you know, at their homes or their apartments or wherever they live, submit them to us, uh, and then we kind of overlaid those into the, into the video in various ways. So if you haven't seen it yet, it's still available on YouTube. We also talked about it with Timothy Stoddard a, a few minutes ago, so you've got to listen to both podcasts, you know. But it's one of your most popular pieces. It's been very successful. City Trees. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's All right. been, been around for about 11 years now. Tell me more about the piece. We mentioned the workshop, but you're doing a piece of Michael's, yes? Well, The Wild Skies is on the program. That's what we're going to workshop, this piece that was commissioned by the Arizona Music Educators Association for their 2022 Allstate Orchestra, which was conducted by a colleague of mine, Jeff Grogan, who approached Michael and, and commissioned the work uh, on behalf of Arizona Music Educators Association. And it's a, f it's a fun piece of music. Uh, it, it's, it's every, and I say this because I'm, I'm sure that it has everything to do with, t uh, with Michael's uh, background in film. It's that great homage to the idea of that old western serial film where you can feel all that happy happy yet serious yet like mysterious and it's all in this one amazing piece of music that that just sounds like a gorgeous film score and yet is so intricate for these young people to tackle and it's it's fun to conduct because when they get it it you just feel like you you want to have like I'm using my hands as I gesture on the radio but that doesn't matter but you want to see this huge screen in front of you and you want to be in the sound studio and you want to see the bar going across the screen as you're conducting this score but it's young people doing it and that's what makes it exciting the only thing missing is the actual screen 
And what makes Michael Markowski's music so successful in the band world? In my opinion, because you could talk to lots of different university directors around the country and high school directors and now middle school directors who have commissioned Michael's music over the years, I have always said, and I will continue to say, that it's never formulaic. Every piece stands on its own as a unique piece of symphonic writing. And it's based on an idea and not just by, based on a pattern of notes that when you listen to it, it sounds, you say, and, and there's no knock on this. I mean, we all love when we hear Mozart and we go, oh, that's Mozart. We all hear Beethoven and we go, oh, that's Beethoven. But with Michael's music, when you hear the piece, you don't automatically go, oh, that's Markowski. You hear a beautiful piece of music written for wonderful young people and then you go, that's great. And then you go, oh, it's Michael's piece. And, then, and that's what makes Michael, to me, that's what every piece, there's one piece in his, in his entire, um, uh, what word would I want to use, compendium of, of works that sounds, has little snippets of lots of different pieces. One, but it's almost intentional in that way. So the, the idea is that every piece is a new approach. That's what I like about it. Have you thought about having some of your ensembles, one of your ensembles, do the Thanksgiving Day Parade piece that we were talking about earlier? <laughs> we did Joyride, actually. You've done it already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my, opening, my opening season, we brought Michael out at the very beginning. The first thing I said was, I want to do a living work. And my whole concept for that first concert was this whole blast off, new tenure, new ideas, new new journey with the ensemble. So we had done that whole st Movements from the Planets, but we also did the Joyride because it was a great way. We actually did the, the it was, the, I would want to call it the second of three amazing versions of Joyride. First was the concert band version that was rediscovered. And Michael didn't talk about, enough about this part, was that he wrote this in high school and then that was it. It wasn't published. And it just so happened that uh, the director of bands now at Vandercook College in, in Chicago uh, discovered it in a, in a file cabinet in the school that he was teaching at. He discovered it and, and then wound up it wound up getting published as a concert band work, and then it was Joyride Part One. Then Bob Moody approached Robert Moody, the conductor, approached Michael for Arizona Music Fest to do Joyride in its form that I did it with Tripo, and that was with all the bells and whistles, the entire kitchen sink, lots of percussion, contra this, contra that, everything you can possibly think under the sun. Big, big, thick orchestration worked really well with the Holston with the John Williams, and then. Uh, Bob, I guess, approached Michael again, and wa and he was doing Beethoven Nine, and he wanted an opening work for the Beethoven Nine. Is that the way it went? Yeah, yeah, sort of like a little amuse bouche to the Beethoven Nine, because because of course it quotes the Ode to Joy, um, but uh, at the time he wanted it to reflect the Beethoven Nine instrumentation, which I think is just the double winds, like no tuba, um, that sort of thing. So I had to rework the orchestration a little bit to to better reflect the Beethoven. Because of the area, the genre that you work in, Michael, you work with a lot of our great orchestra conductors who specialize in working with young people. What's special about Brian Warsdale that I don't know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he doesn't always uh, brag very much, it seems to me. And that's a very special quality about him, for sure. He's, he's a completely understated individual, uh, and yet his talent uh, and kindness and generosity is, is, is through the roof. You know, he's, he's one of those um, diamonds in the rough that you really have to seek out to really 
understand just how special he is. Uh, and of course, he has such a, a great care for, for young people, not only with what he does here with Tripo in, in Pittsburgh, but uh, through, through um, his organization working for French Woods, the summer music camp, uh, in New York. I mean, you know, he's dedicated his life not only to music, but to really helping young people in particular, young the, musicians. The word is getting out on you, Ryan Warsdale. That's all I can tell you. You do, do amazing work. And why should folks come to your concert on, on Sunday? They will hear evidence of all of these things that we've been discussing. It's free, is it not? Concerts are always free. You do have to go on our website and register as if you're signing up for a ticket, but absolutely. And, you know, it takes it takes a, a village, as as you've heard many, many times. And, and as much as I enjoy what I do and as much as I value all the work that I put into it and the students give back, but it's, it's about the student involvement, but it's also about our team of conductors and coaches. It's also about our administrative team and all the work and effort they put into it. And if it was just a YPO concert, sure, I'd promote my kids and, and, and what we're doing and Michael, and it'd be great. But we have more than that. We have a great group of conductors that are working with the kids. And so for our Wind Symphony and YPO concert, it's uh, Professor Rob Traw, who's also on faculty at Duquesne University. He's a composer himself. And so the Wind Symphony will be playing uh, the Maslanka Give Us This Day. They'll be playing uh, work with Dr. Jason Cush on saxophone. We'll actually actually have a guest conductor with the Wind Symphony, uh, Chad Thompson from Bethel Park High School, will be conducting a piece on the program. So we have a wonderful program with our Wind Symphony. I wanted a Wind Symphony as part of Tripo because it was something that was very near and dear to me living in New York City and, and the establishment of my own youth band when I was all but 17 years old. The YPO is also playing not only Wild Skies, but because we're following our music of the Americas theme, we're also performing Wapango by Moncayo. We are performing performing Gershwin's American in Paris. We are also working on Valerie Coleman's Umoja, but we'll talk a little bit more about that and the talking point as we approach our conversation about the league. And we also have a young soloist. So we have Bridget Yoon playing the David Popper Polonaise for cello and strings. She was our concerto competition winner. And then at our 515 program, Pierce Cook will lead both our tutti and our symphonette. And like I said, our coaches who come from the Pittsburgh Opera, from Pittsburgh Ballet, and from the Pittsburgh Symphony all who work with our kids at least half a dozen or more times a year in coachings and clinics. And then, of course, our staff, led by Lindsay Nova, who really help us put all this together into a way that allows us to collaborate, have a place to rehearse, all the great partnerships that we build over the course of the, the academic year. Your coaches are very good about coming to the concerts, too. You might wind up sitting next to a Pittsburgh Symphony member in the seat next to you at Carnegie. Music Hall. So you hear masterpieces. You'll hear some new things. There's tremendous spirit from the young musicians, and you give it your all, I know, from the podium. I enjoy every second that I spend with them, and and my my enjoyment is mostly in the rehearsal process and rehearsals. Rehearsals are the most magical thing you can do with a group of musicians. Performances are great, but for me, performances tend to be the end of something, and I've always had to resolve, you know, my, my feelings about this, and it's not easy because you work all this time, especially with the youth orchestra, right? The Pittsburgh Symphony, when they play a performance, they play more than one performance of something, and these are august musicians who have spent decades on their craft, and they'll come back to Beethoven 5 again someday. But for some of these young people, and this is the significant part about why I feel this way, some of these young people are 
not going to pursue music as a career. And the fact is, this might be their one shot at playing Gershwin's American in Paris. It might be their one shot at playing Beethoven Five or whatever it is that's in front of them. So you want to make those rehearsals and those performances as significant as you can. And one of the things that happens, you spend 12, 13 weeks on a program and you move on. And then it's, you, 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 you're, you're saying goodbye to a friend. You know, I know I'll get to come back to it, but not in that group, not in that ensemble. That is a unique moment in time when those young people are playing Wild Skies and or American in Paris. That group, that you can never replicate that. That group is not going to do that again. It's not like three years from now when Pittsburgh Symphony plays the Firebird Suite again. There might be some different musicians here and there, but the fact of the matter is it's the Pittsburgh Symphony playing the Firebird Suite. Three years after now, it'll be a whole new YPO because those kids age out, move on, and do other things. So that's what makes that special. But it's also what makes it difficult after you've performed. Was it an anniversary year for you last year or upcoming year? We're, we're coming up on our 50th, Jim, which That's we're very excited about. That's a great feeling when you come yeah, to 50 years. Coming up on the 50th anniversary of, of, of the Three Rivers Young People's Orchestras, the dynamic ideas by Phyllis Susan, Phyllis Barbash Susan, and Bernie Goldberg, and Marie Mazel, of course, who had established PISO and then kind of leaned on these two when they, she saw the numbers reflected another youth orchestra being downtown. That came the Three Rivers Training Orchestra and then of course turning into Three Rivers Young People's Orchestras. And so we're celebrating 50 years of that. And I would be remiss not to think about all that my predecessors who have come along the way as music directors, as well as the people who are founding conductors of groups like Symphonet and, and all the other programs that we offer. But we're excited about that because we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate part of our history next season. We already have our programs chosen for YPO. We'll be exploring Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony, the entire symphony, uh, especially because we're planning our tour, which had been postponed due to the pandemic, you know, our overseas tour. We can't announce where we're going just yet because we're still waiting on some finishing touches uh, with our, our tour partners that help us organize this great event. But I will say that part of our 50th anniversary is celebrating the orchestra, but also celebrating its vibrant history. How's Pittsburgh doing with the youth orchestra scene? Uh, the big markets, Chicago, New York, L.A., sometimes the, the host orchestra puts a little more budget into the, uh, the mix uh, in a bigger market. But it seems to me Pittsburgh's always hitting above its market size for the quality of what's, what's delivered with the program. It's, and you're growing and getting stronger. I think youth orchestras in general are uh, a bellwether of how many young people are interested in music at the end of a school day, you know, who can. Because when you have such great programs here in Pittsburgh, as you do, uh, in, in, especially in, in there are a couple of great schools right here in the in the vicinity, but go five minutes out of town and you have these f fantastic programs, all who have are dedicated to their students. We have some great music educators in the city and in this community that basically believe in their students getting as much out of the music experience as they can, and they send their students to these youth orchestras or encourage them or at support them. As a matter of fact, as part of our youth orchestra, we have at least a half a dozen or more 
children in our ensembles, in each ensemble, whose parents are music educators. They believe in what we do. They believe in all of the programs that go on, and they want their young people to be part of it, including their own children. And they walk away with such a great reward. And I think that that's indicative of a healthy um, opportunity for young people. And one of the things I always say to people is, you can offer as many things as you want. The fact of the matter is you'll still not have enough for young people to be able to have an opportunity to do. And it's about creating opportunity. You know, they, young people have to jump at the opportunity, but as long as it's there for them, it, the sky's the limit. Composer Michael Markowski, I'm guessing you are equally bullish on the youth orchestra scene. They're purchasing your scores and playing your music. Not bad. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the really great thing about wind ensembles and youth orchestras is that, you know, there's there's such a, a wealth of new repertoire being written for these uh, these ensembles. So you do see a whole lot of new music being written by living composers, young composers, um, composers just starting out. It's, it's just a, a tremendous uh, thing to see. Anything else we should add about this concert so that people come? Well, I will tell you that they're not going to, let's just say they won't be bored. <laughs> the, the, the repertoire is so varied and, and so vast that they will have a wonderful menu of things to listen to and be inspired by. And, you know, the, the energy of a youth orchestra when they're playing at their fullest spirit is is tremendous and that's what makes young people performances so compelling is that if they're really invested in it you you close your eyes and you are transported somewhere really special please return next month to tell us about the symphony orchestra league concert you're going to do can we say anything about it now yeah we can absolutely talk a little bit about it but i'm i'm hoping what we can do is actually jacob and i'll sit here and talk a little bit more about the fact that for the first time in many years the league is actually not just having one youth orchestra at the opening session but two that is a testament to the lots of energy and and i will also say that um, i wish there could be more because we have other youth orchestra programs in the city that are working really hard to to do all the great things they do, you know, between Pico and Pipo and all the other programs that that connect young people to the arts. But we are excited that on June 14th that Tripo and, and Paisa will have a wonderful opportunity to perform. And one of the things that we're excited about is also bringing Valerie Coleman's Umoja to that space. And we could talk a lot more about Valerie and about that piece in, a, in, in our future conversation about that. But I, I am going to say that on June 14th, we're going to make some really great history at Heinz Hall, having Tripo and Paiso performing at the League Opening Conference. I look forward to an additional conversation on, on that topic. And I, I've got to ask the, the global picture. You mentioned how excited you are about the work that is being done by youth orchestras, wind ensembles. At Heinz Hall, we worry about empty seats post-pandemic. People think, after the pandemic, folks aren't going to concerts anymore. But it seems to me that the audience has already come back considerably, and your young musicians are going to be going to concerts of the future. Uh, I'm always very bullish on the classical music scene, even though people, for whatever reason, maybe it's a, an interesting story to read, are always predicting the death of classical music. Uh, which column are, are you in here, Michael? 
I'm definitely in the in the former for sure. I think we're hungrier now more than ever to just get back into these seats, to be there in person. Like I said, it's it's just so, so much more energizing and invigorating to be there in person rather than to stream a concert at home. You know what I mean? What do you hear from your colleagues in New York? Do you hear any uh, talk on, on this topic? Sometimes you read the slip disc column of Norman Lebrecht and he has a picture of the Staatsoper in Vienna with empty seats. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, again, I think that makes for an interesting headline and he's trying to attract eyeballs to his his website yeah maybe it's maybe it's a little clickbait right like but i think in in terms of new york i mean of course the new york phil just got the the beautiful new renovation david geffen concert hall uh which is gorgeous the musicians love it the audiences love it it's a gorgeous space and uh people are coming back and and i th i think during the pandemic maybe we took a lot of this for granted so i don't certainly see many empty seats yeah. pittsburgh has a special situation in that we have a very large hall much larger than severance hall in Cleveland, uh, even maybe larger than the Hall in New York. I don't know. It's 3,700 seats. That's a it's, lot of seats. To it's fill. larger. It's larger, definitely, than Geffen Hall, and it's definitely uh, on a larger even than Carnegie in a sense of availability of seats, without question. So, of course, that makes a huge challenge of saying a full house. I think full house has more to to do in it for me in a frame of mind of a healthy house, an enthusiastic house, you know, and and I think that's that's a that's a whole different perspective. And, a, and an enthusiastic and healthier house is a house that shows, a, I want to say, an objectivity and a diversity in the people that are coming in to listen to music for the very first time. And, you know, our music students, we, we need to do more to give them more access to the concert hall. We need to do more to give them opportunities to go here. I mean, one of the things I'm doing this year with Tripo, especially because it's post-pandemic, is we're having senior night with Mr. Warsdale. And so we're going to go hear the Rite of Spring on May 19th. And it's it's going to be a concert and dinner. So we're going to go out and sit down and have a dinner together that Friday night. And then we're all going to walk over to Heinz Hall and the seniors and I are going to go and listen to the Rite of Spring with Pablo Horas Casado conducting. And we've, it's not something that we do before, but it's something that I said to, to, to Lindsay. I said, wouldn't it be great if we just like had a senior night like that where we just took them out? And they're so excited. I, I will tell you that actually one of our students uh, whose prom is supposed to be that night has decided that he's not, he, he want, he'd rather go to senior night with, with Tripo than he would to go to his prom. And, and I think that's kind of cool that that's the kind of thing that happens. But uh, back to the whole classical music dying thing. I think that everything is about evolution, right, Jim? And part of that evolution is making sure that the people listening aren't just people that you want to have hold an instrument, but people who want to support music. And if that's the case, then you have to think about how you're delivering that to the audience. And that means through programming, through how you're programming, some of these new things that the PSO is doing to get more people to kind of be more casual about the concert approach makes a huge difference. And I think that's that's the kind of thing that we need to see more of. And I also think that having more access, you know, concert ticket access, but also access to being able to play an instrument. And I think this is a longer conversation than you and I have had a number of times uh, together. And there are things happening and there are things changing and you know it's the boring of, of hard boards it's a very slow process but done right we could see even more people invested in making music and music does not have to be their vocation to to make it a reality Michael Markowski, your home is in New York City. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? Well, I'll tell you, the Symphony Orchestra League is coming to Pittsburgh for their meeting this year. And we're very excited about it. Uh, our musical view, uh, like that 
cartoon was it a New Yorker cover where you see Manhattan and then the rest of the world receding in the in the distance? We see Pittsburgh the same the same way. It's really going to be a spectacular meeting in June when the whole musical world descends on Western Pennsylvania. It's going to be so great that you are part of it. Good luck this weekend. This is a day long topic, a weekend of uh, a seminar. So thanks for spending a good portion of your day here at WQED. A joy always to speak with you, Brian Maestro, and composer Michael Markowski. Please come back again soon. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.